Today we begin a new series called Disciple as we look to the Gospel of Mark, so what it means to follow Jesus as one of his disciples. We'll be in Mark chapter 1 today, verses 7 through 18. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. If you'd like a Bible, don't have one with you today, feel free to grab some of those Bibles off the tables in the back. Of course, you could use your digital device. We'll be using the uh, Christian Standard Bible, the CSB version, this morning. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to look through the Gospel of Mark and see how it is that Jesus shows us to be his disciples. And I would encourage you to make an intentional decision to be here every week, to get the most benefit from this series, to be here every week. And also, I want to encourage you to join with a group of people uh, to study this together. It could be people in your workplace, could be people in your home, could be people in your community, in your neighborhood, could be through one of our missional communities here at Desert Springs. Uh, We've got all sorts of groups that meet throughout the week. Some of the discipleship groups are like four people, Uh, some of the community groups are 12 to 15 people, some of our studies get upwards of 50 people, whatever the group looks like, I want to encourage you, in order to gain the most benefit from this study, to be studying together in the context of community. I know that you will be blessed by it. And if you'd like more information on how to connect with one of our groups, the back of the seat in front of you is a ministry guide. Check out uh, that for more information or visit Direct and Connect uh, after the service. Now, As a church family, as we look to the scriptures to discover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how that would impact us and impact our world, uh, we uh, have as a church family some next steps. In fact, we can put it up here on the screen. Uh, And if, by the way, if you picked up the study guide, and if you haven't yet, you can pick up a study guide out in the lobby today. Just go through these doors and uh, some of our team members will be there. Uh, Grab that study guide. Today's a great day to get the study guide because you're never even going to guess Today's the first day of a study that we're doing in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you've heard the news. And so it's a great opportunity. Grab that study guide. You can get that. But in the study guide, one of the things you'll notice is at the beginning of each chapter, one of the things that we highlight are some of these steps that uh, the disciples take or that Jesus teaches about uh, as you see it in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, out in our lobby, you'll see a big graphic that looks just like this. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to point out is this. Regardless of where you're at in your journey with Jesus, you could uh, be a follower of Jesus for decades or maybe you're still trying to figure the whole Jesus thing out. If you are giving a fair or an honest hearing, if you're giving Jesus uh, some honest exploration, one of the things you'll see in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus calls people like that disciples. Now, you might wonder what a disciple is. That's a great question. We're actually going to look to the Gospel of Mark today to discover that. But you might be thinking as we go through this study, okay, what's my next move? What's my next step? And as a church family, our leadership, we are committed to equipping you to the best of our ability to flourish as a disciple of Jesus. And so uh, we'll be highlighting some of these different steps. One of the ones uh, that we'll see today, uh, you'll notice, is baptism, discovering Jesus, and so on. This is not meant to be a formula for your spiritual life. Uh, spiritual, like our spiritual lives are oftentimes nonlinear and messy. Does that ever happen to you? I mean, you might, I mean, one of the things people sometimes do in a church, whether you're a Christian or not, if, if the minister says something you agree with, people usually say something like amen or, you know, preach it or whatever. So I'm going to do that one more time. Generally, our spiritual life and our spiritual development is nonlinear. In fact, it's usually just a mess. 
Yeah, that's right. So this isn't meant to be like a rigid roadmap, uh, but we had to put the graphic up somehow, and this is the way it is. And so uh, we can always be growing in these areas, but as a church family, we're committed to help you growing in these areas. If you'd like more information, visit Direct and Connect out in the lobby after the service. As we go to Mark, uh, chapter one of the Gospel of Mark, I have a question for you, and that is this. What drives you? What drives you? You see, we all have a person or a possession or a principle that we hold to be the ultimate value in our life. And that thing, that person, that principle, that possession, that is what drives us. What drives you? What person or possession or principle is the guiding factor in your life, is the motivational force in your life? You see, the thing that we hold as the ultimate value in our lives shapes us into its image. Moreover, it sets our course. It takes us somewhere. And so if you were to have uh, financial stability as your ultimate principle in life, that will shape your entire life. If you hold family to be the ultimate principle and value, that will shape your entire life and you will be made into its image. What drives you? We all have a person, a possession, or a principle that is driving us and it is taking us somewhere And so another way to ask the question is this, where are you going? What principle, possession, or person are you following? And where is it taking you? As we look in Mark 1, we'll find some people who have as that ultimate value, they are in the process of finding that Jesus becomes for them that ultimate value. Jesus calls this process discipleship. And so we're going to look at Mark 1, and we're going to Tarantino Mark 1. Anybody a fan of Quentin Tarantino movies? Can we get some, can we get some holler back at me, y'all? Okay, Tarantino, I see some. Okay, so great. Here we go. Great. Okay. Now, um, if you're uh, under the age of 18, don't watch these movies. Pastor Caleb says they're not good for you, and don't watch any Quentin Tarantino movies. But for the rest of us, he's a pretty good movie maker, right? I mean... Like, don't, uh, parents don't, I told you, I gave you the caveat, so parents don't be mad. Okay, so one of the things that Tarantino does, he's super creative, one of the things that he does in his movies is this, is he will occasionally do some things with the film, like uh, he'll play it forward and then he'll play it like sideways or he'll play it backwards. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna play Mark uh, chapter one, verses seven through 18 forward, and then we're gonna press rewind and we're gonna play it backwards. Y'all with me? Okay, so we're going to go forward, we're going to go backwards. This is Mark uh, 1. We're just going to kind of, I'm going to read it, we're going to talk a little bit about it, and then we'll go forward and then backward. We'll put uh, verse 7 up on the screen. You can use your Bibles to follow along. Now, uh, here, just before we get to this moment, in the opening of the Gospel of Mark, we have to remember the story of the cosmos. And some of you might be familiar with the story, but for those of us uh, who need a little reminding, this is the story of the cosmos. In the beginning says in the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, then the earth was formless and void and the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And what you see in Genesis 1 is that God creates something out of nothing. He creates and forms the universe together. He speaks the world into existence. In fact, if you were to go to Genesis 1, you would see that things like this are said. God said, 
let there be, what's the thing? Um, I should have studied this before. God said, let there be Fritos. God said, let there be Cheetos. What was it? Light. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. I I knew that all along. I was just tricking you. Uh, So God said, let there be light. And then it says, and there was light. So you see in Genesis, God speaking by his word, the universe into existence. And then you get to uh, uh, chapters, the end part of chapter one, and also you see it in chapter two, that God uh, creates and forms people in his own image. The Bible says that people are made unique, different than the animals, that we are made with inherent dignity, worth, and value because we are made in the image and likeness of God. You see there in the garden, God created people for relationship with him. They are the creation, he is the creator. But in Genesis 3, you find the second part of the story of the cosmos, namely this, that people made in the image of God chose instead to be their own God. This act of cosmic rebellion is oftentimes called the fall. It is at the center of sin and evil, is this first decision, I'm the God of the universe, not God. Because of this cosmic rebellion, God cursed the earth, and out of the garden they go. And God had one, well, he had a few options, but two of the primary options that you see is that God could have one, in light of this cosmic rebellion, turned on the Metallica album and killed them all. Second option is he could have figured out a way, or created a way, to redeem the, re- the rebels, to redeem the broken hearts, to redeem the sinful and evil center. Without destroying his creation, he would choose to redeem it. And this is what he chooses. And even in Genesis 3, and on through the whole of the Old Testament, one of the things that you find is that consistently God is working in human history saying, one day I'm gonna send someone, a savior, a redeemer, a messiah, or a Christ, I'm gonna send somebody, and they're gonna come into the world, and they're gonna fix all that is broken. They are gonna redeem the rebels, and they are gonna restore all that which is broken. And you see all throughout the Old Testament, there's this day coming. There's a person coming. And so here's this people group. Uh, They're called uh, the Jewish people in the Bible. And this people group, the Jewish people, are looking for somebody. And at a specific moment, they recognize that there's going to be someone who comes to restore all that is broken. And here now in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, we find John the Baptist, or Johnny B, as he preferred to be called by his friends. So JB's out there, he's out preaching, and here in Mark, Mark doesn't give us a Christmas story, Mark starts right here with John saying this. He proclaimed, verse seven, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here John is announcing just as if a king, a king, or a president was coming into a room, someone would go into the room first and say, attention, y'all, the king is here. And everyone would begin to listen and everyone would stand up straight and everyone would act like they were busy. The king is here. And John shows us that he, his whole life is simply point to Jesus. One who is greater than I is coming. And then you get into verse nine, check it out. In those days, 
Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, do you remember the story of the cosmos? We're gonna do that one more time. You all remember the story of the cosmos? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, okay, great. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke the universe into existence by what? His word. And in Genesis 1, one of the things that you see is that it says that God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And Mark 1 is showing us that same scene done twice. Notice, here you have Jesus' baptism. Uh, Generally speaking, what do you get baptized in? Water. Here's God the Son. In the Gospel of John, he's called, this is nuts, he's called the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word of God. In Jesus, you have the embodiment of God's Word. And here, in this little itty-bitty text, in this little scene of Jesus' baptism, read it again with me. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as it, so put this scene in your mind. As soon as he comes up out of the water, he sees the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice, wait, what's that word again? Voice. What's like another thing to say with voice? I mean, could you say his, a, a word? Oh, that's interesting. A voice comes from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. When you read John 1 in light of Mark 1, one of the things that you'll see is that the triune God was present at the creation and he's present here at the recreation. This new heavens and new earth that is coming soon, here is the creation account. You have God the Father, God the Son, the Word of God, and God the Spirit It's interesting, too, because how does it say that the Spirit descends on Jesus? Like a dove, like a dove. The Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. Now, this is interesting. One of the uh, ancient Aramaic translations, which Jesus spoke Aramaic, one of the Aramaic translations of Genesis 1-2 says this. Occasionally, they would add in extra flourishes to help people understand the translation from Hebrew to Aramaic, and this is what it says. If you read the Aramaic translation that maybe Jesus would have had with him at the time, it says that in Genesis 1-2, that the Spirit of God fluttered over the face of the waters like a dove. And here now you see the dove descending on Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, um, Hey, guys. Good to see you. You know what's nuts is that God reveals himself to us as one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods in some sort of pantheon. Not one God with three different hats. One God, three unique and distinct persons. And everyone in the room says, that is really hard to understand. Because, yep, that's really hard to understand. Yeah. By the way, that's why we sing, because our God exhausts our mental capacities. By the way, if everything about the God you serve makes perfect sense to you, you've made God in your own image. All belief terminates in faith and mystery. All belief, every belief that you hold, actually, 
If you push into it far enough, you reach a cloud of mystery that you cannot grasp. And we as a people are constantly scratching, trying to learn more, but know this, that knowledge of God is inexhaustible, which means for those of us that love exploration and discovery, we will never be completely satisfied, which means even in the eternal state, we will never be bored. So one God, three persons. The other thing too is if you throw the Trinity away, this idea that God is triune, three, one and three, if you throw the Trinity away, you throw love away. You have got, so find me any worldview that explains eternal love outside of this. Because love requires what? Somebody, as Freddie Mercury said, can anybody find me somebody to you need someone or something to receive the love. Love is something that you do not do just in and of your own essence. You must have something, an object of your affection. And that's what I mean is this, that in the Godhead, the Trinity, one God, three persons, you have an eternally existing community of love where God the Father, Spirit, and son eternally have loved one another, which means you were not made because God needed somebody to love. You were made out of love. You were made out of a natural outpouring of a community of love. In the Trinity, you have eternal love. Let's keep going. Verse 12, immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. So here's Jesus, with who? Satan. Jesus is with Satan, and he's in the Caleb, desert being what? Caleb, I have a question. Yeah, um, John, is that John Cavell right there? Yeah, yeah. John, you, got, you said you had a question. Yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Cavell. When, when you say Satan, yep. uh -huh. you're talking about an actual being of some kind? You're not, I mean, you're... You're talking about a, like, like a person or sort of like a supernatural kind of being? or Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, for a long time, a lot of people have said that the, the figure or the picture of Satan in the Bible is really just representing evil. Like it's, it's, it's the human ability, the human tendency toward evil that, that really isn't a person like Satan, you know, kind of like the devil thing with the tail and the pitchfork and, mm -hmm. and all that. But you're saying that that's what this is. Uh, yeah. <sighs> okay. So I think there's probably a lot of people who maybe have a difficult time understanding that or maybe have questions about it. I mean, I know I like to dig into that kind of stuff. And, and maybe there's people here that like to sort of dig into those kinds of things and not just download it you know, whatever, and um, so I'm, I'll tell you what, if you're interested in digging into some of these kinds of things and asking these questions, or maybe you get asked these questions and you're not always sure how to answer or respond to it, I'll tell you what, I will be here tomorrow night, Monday, starting at 6 o'clock in the lobby to discuss this kind of stuff with anybody who wants to show up. So we can talk about the Satan thing, but we'll talk about other stuff, and so it's not, not like a sermon or a monologue, no offense, but it's going to be a discussion where we can engage with one another, where all input and all questions are expected and respected, and we can tear this stuff apart and just really kind of feel like we are asking the questions and engaging with it and can get a better handle on it. Does that sound cool? Is anybody interested in that? 
Okay, so tomorrow, starting at 6 o'clock, out in the lobby. If you're not there right at 6, come anyway. We'll be there for a while, and we'll hang out, and we'll do that stuff on Monday nights, and we'll tear this stuff apart. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Thanks, John, for I'm that completely unscripted, random interruption. That's weird that the slide was loaded up. That's totally, totally random. Yeah. If you grow more from dialogue than monologue, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, that's why I chose to do this, because uh, I like the talking part. Uh, love to have you guys join John out in the lobby, 6 o'clock, starting tomorrow night. So, G- so Jesus is driven into the wilderness. Now, I want you to, sh- uh, I want you to see something. Uh, if you take a look at the text, what's that first word in verse 12? Immediately, you're going to see this word throughout the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is not only the shortest of the Gospels, it's also the fastest. He's constantly moving us from place to place. Now, check this out. What was the scene just before this one? Just before the desert or the wilderness, what was the scene? Where were we? We were at the baptism. And so I want you to notice something. Jesus, the Spirit descends on Jesus. God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then immediately, the Spirit drives Jesus where? The wilderness. Now, that should shape your view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That following Jesus, making a choice to follow Jesus, does not always mean everything's going to get better. In fact, you saw at the baptism the direct presence of God Did you guys notice that? And here now for 40 days, he's in the wilderness with what seems to be an absence. Perhaps some of us now are experiencing the wilderness and we might be saying, where is God? He may be taking you to the wilderness for some purpose. And we see there, Jesus, the big point is this, that at the end of that time, Jesus is in the wilderness with the wild beast. Did you guys catch that? But he remains faithful. One of the things that Mark is showing us is this, is that Jesus succeeds where Adam fails. You see, Adam, the first man, and Eve, the first woman, were in not a wilderness, but where? A garden. And they were surrounded not by wild beasts, but by tame beasts. And they were not tempted for 40 days, they were tempted in a moment. And they both failed. And here Jesus succeeds where they failed. Later in the scriptures, Jesus is called the true and greater Adam. You have here this magnificent moment. And then Jesus, look at verse 14, we'll go next. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now real quick, uh, Johnny B., our man on the street, proclaiming that Jesus is coming. What happens to him? He's arrested. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the details. We're going to find that in chapter 6. But I want you to notice this, that, that John now has been arrested, and this is foreshadowing something that's going to come later. We're going to find out what happens to Johnny B. here in a few weeks. But for now, we see that John is arrested. And then the text says this, verse 15, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is Jesus' sermon. 
You have it there in the text. You have quotes from Jesus. This is his first sermon that we have recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And he says, repent. Repentance is this. It's turning. It's a change of direction. If your direction is inwards toward yourself, like Adam and Eve's sin, Jesus says, repent. Turn from that direction. Turn to Jesus and believe in the good news. There's another a name for the word good news. It's called gospel. Gospel simply means good news. Good news of what? Good news that the kingdom of God has, been, uh, has come near. This is the sermon that Jesus gives. And then in verse 16, we can look at it up there on the screen. Verse 16, as he passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, verse 17, what's Jesus say? Two words. Follow me. Jesus told them, I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Follow me. Repent, believe in the gospel, follow me. And here are just some average blue-collar laborers, Simon and Andrew. And Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me. To be a Christian is not to give mere mental assent to theological principles and ideas. Christianity separates itself from all other worldviews in that it demands a relational response. Follow me. Jesus calls us not only to believe in him, not only to listen to him, but to what? Follow him. There is a difference between a student and a disciple. A student can be someone who walks into an auditorium filled with 500 people and listen to the teachings of the teacher and then go home with no relationship with the teacher. But a disciple has a relationship with the teacher. After the class is over, the disciple goes with the teacher as the teacher gets in the car and drives to get their laundry and to pick up McDonald's for their kids and to go home and to sit at their table and to eat together. You see, the difference between a student and a disciple is that a disciple implies relationship. And Jesus doesn't say, follow me as my students. Don't follow me as my fans. Follow me as what? My disciples. Learning is a huge component of discipleship, and so is serving. But at its center, it is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is drawing us into relationship with him where the one where the leader goes the disciple follows to be a disciple of Jesus is to go where Jesus goes regardless of where you are in your faith journey Jesus calls you repent turn from sin believe in the good news that the kingdom of God is here in the personal work of Jesus Christ and follow Jesus Go where Jesus goes. Now, first, verse 15. We're going to press rewind. Remember Tarantino? Here we go. Let's go back. Verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Listen, if you are just in the process of discovering this Jesus character, I want to tell you something. That the claims that Jesus makes on your life are astounding and oftentimes frustrating. Jesus calls you 
into not only relationship with him, but he calls you to repent and believe in the gospel, which assumes that, you, that there is something you need to what? Repent of. Jesus gets into your neighborhood. As you let Jesus into your life, you'll notice that he makes worldview-shaping claims about who you are, about who he is, about how you ought to live, about how you ought to serve, about how you ought to view other people. To follow Jesus is not just mere cognitive ascent. It is to follow after him, and he will dramatically shape your worldview. If you are to follow Jesus, to repent and to believe, your life will be amazingly and frustratingly changed. But he calls it, what's he call it? He says, repent and believe the something news. Yeah, the good news. Let me tell you, friends, religion is not good news. You know the difference between religion and the gospel. Jesus is not calling you to be a religious person. And I want to say this too. Uh, Jesus is not calling you to be a Republican. Yeah, I know. Listen, if you're a Republican, hold on, okay? Don't, 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 just, just scroll through Fox News and we'll get through this together, okay? Just, we'll be fine. Listen to me. We currently live in a cultural moment where uh, a message is being sent that evangelical Christians, what that means is a voting block. And Jesus is not calling you to be a political evangelical Christian. He's calling you to be his disciple. So I just I want to I want to I want to smash that idea because many of us are walking in here thinking, if I start following Jesus, I've got to be like that person over there, and that means I got to I mean playlists and politics are the two things that we're going to fight about most of the time, right? <laughs> cultural expressions and our views on how government should work, especially in this cultural moment, and Jesus will dramatically shape your playlists and your politics, but it's not red or blue. All right, you with me on that? So, okay, let's keep going. By the way, every, every Republican in this church thinks I'm a Democrat. Every Democrat in this church thinks I'm a Republican, and the Libertarians are trying to sell me space in their bomb shelters in their backyard. <laughs> so, it's going to be great. Works every time. And so following Jesus, he says, repent and believe in the good news. Religion is not good news. Jesus is not calling you to be a good little boy or girl, to make the nice list and get off the naughty list. He is calling you to enter into a relationship with him and to follow him. And that is good news. Why? Because one of the things you didn't notice Jesus saying is this, clean up your act and then I'll love you. Clean up your act and then I'll love you is good enough, is the good enough gospel. What do I mean by good enough? You go to anybody in this community randomly, you knock on their door, which I know you're Phoenicians, so you don't do. But let's say you actually knew your neighbors and you went over to a neighbor's house and you said, hey, if you were to die tonight, not a good conversation, not recommending this, but if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Most people say heaven. Why? Because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. When people die at their eulogies, we say, we feel compelled to say, they were a good person. And the good enough gospel says this, if you do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds, then God will owe you heaven. First off, number one, do you want a relationship with a God like that? Do you want a relationship with a parent like that? Some of us, our dads or moms were like that. But if my son comes to me and says, Dad, 
I cleaned up my room. I did all the tasks. My homework is done. Do you love me now? If he even asks that question, does that speak to the nature of his relationship with me as his father? Do you want a relationship with a parent like that? Do enough good and then I'll love you? Some of us have had that in our families. We know that can be destructive. No, the good news of the gospel is this. There is nothing that you can do to earn God's love for you. He loves you because of his, we wrote it up on the wall, because of his grace. That's why we sing, amazing. He calls us into a relationship without calling us to fix our lives first. Now, he does call us to righteousness. But the difference between religion, religion is this. Tim Keller says it like this. He's a pastor in New York. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But Jesus says, you are accepted, therefore obey. You with me on that? There is no such thing as good enough. And so Jesus calls everybody, including you. And you know how messed up you are. I've been watching your Facebook. I know also how messed up you are, including you. Jesus calls everyone, including you, follow me. He doesn't say clean up your act and follow me. He just says, come here. Follow me. Enter into a relationship with me. You'll look at verse 12. Now, I want to warn you. If you want to start following Jesus, awesome. I think you should do that. I think it'll be the most satisfying answer. You'll find the most satisfying answers to the questions that you're asking. Moreover, you will feel the most profound sense of love and acceptance than you've ever felt before. However, it may not always seem like it, I'll prove it to you. Remember verse 12? Where, did, where was Jesus led after the baptism? Yeah, so, so, so if you start, if you're, if you're on this discipleship journey with Jesus, I guarantee there's a wilderness in it waiting for you. Some of you are there right now. There's a, a, you know, one of the weird things about American evangelical Christians is that almost all the stuff we sing is happy. And if you listen to Christian radio, which, by the way, they're in it for the money, too. I hate to tell you. Ooh, got real quiet in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's almost always, I haven't heard a lament song. Um, They don't play, they don't play Nirvana on the Christian radio, right? One of the things that we're bad at, frankly, in, in this culture in particular, is we're bad at lamenting the pain and the seasons of wilderness that we experience. Our default answer to how are you doing is what? Fine. Please don't, please don't ask me anymore because I want to pretend that I'm not in the wilderness. Following Jesus as one of his disciples, going where he goes, you will be in the wilderness. And here's something else too. Notice who shows up. John mentioned it a moment ago. It says he was in the wilderness, what? Being tempted by Satan. The closer you get to Jesus, I'm convinced of this, that the closer you get to Jesus, the more vividly aware you are of the presence of evil in and around you and in this world. You might even feel like, I thought I start, I'm, you know, I'm following Jesus, I thought this stuff would go away. It becomes more magnified. Your sense of smell becomes more precise. As you get closer to Jesus, you begin to see the sickness and darkness in your own heart and in the world around you. You'll become more acutely aware. So I wanted to warn you. The other thing too is check out verse uh, 14. Do you remember what happened to John the Baptist? Let me ask you this question. For 
the little bit that you know about John the Baptist or the lot that you know about John the Baptist, did it seem like John the Baptist was faithful to his calling? Yeah. Did it seem like he was a righteous, upstanding guy? Did it seem like he was one who wanted to see the Lord elevated? And what happened to him? He got arrested. He got arrested because he, st- he spoke truth to power against one of the political leaders who was committing sexual sin. And he spoke truth to power and he got arrested for it. And you might too. Jesus never promises to keep you out of prison. Jesus never promises to keep you out of pain. Jesus never promises. In fact, if you, as his disciple, go where Jesus goes, you might find yourself facing a cross one day. So I want to warn you. But I want to encourage you in this. Let's go to verse 9. That same scene of the Father speaking to the Son What did God the Father say to God the Son? It's right there at the end. You are my beloved. With you I am well. Do you know that for those of us that repent and believe in the gospel, for those of us who the Bible says it like this, who are found in Christ, that we receive that same affirmation directed at us because of the work that Jesus has done. Which means that God the Father, if you repent and believe in the gospel, That means God the Father says this to you as well. You see this later in the scriptures. Have you ever heard those words from your creator? This, okay, we're gonna do it like this. I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna have you just say your name inside your head, okay? This is, say your name. And this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And so we may go through wilderness, we may go through arrest, we may one day face a cross, but we recognize that because of Jesus, our relationship with our Creator has been made whole again. And He is not disappointed, He is pleased in you. It is out of that relationship that we seek to live obedient and righteously. Moreover, For those of us that follow Jesus, one of the things that Jesus calls us to do, for those of us who repent and believe in the gospel, he calls us to be baptized. And baptism signifies going down into the water, death, and coming out of the water, resurrection, and new life. And one of the things that that is symbolic of is the very real fact that when we follow after Jesus, when we repent and believe in the gospel, we are brought into the relationship of that triune community with eternal love eternal enjoyment, we are brought into that relationship. And so have you been brought in? Jesus brings you into his story. We'll look at verse seven, where we started. John the Baptist says, one who is more powerful than I. Our lives are meant as his disciples to point to one more powerful than I. As you follow him, will you allow him to shape you to shape the direction of your life. What drives you? What ultimate person, principle, or possession do you elevate as the most valuable? If it is Jesus, as his disciple, he will radically transform your life and the world around you through you as you point to one who is greater than you. As a church family, it is our prayer that we live in light of this truth. Jesus loves you so much. 
and he calls you, follow me. Would you join me as we pray?